Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go, here to mourn with you. Brewers season, 2021 season, officially over. David, I think we should uh, we should be in all black clothes. We got to have the funeral music playing. Certainly, you have to have your brave shirt off. Got to remind everyone that you had the brave shirt on last time we were recording the podcast. But uh, it took some time to uh, process and mourn, like I said, after that 2021 season sadly ended on an abrupt note against the now World Series-bound Atlanta Braves. But certainly uh, excited, or not so much excited, but ready to cover those last two tough games that the Brewers had. Um, and David, what are your initial thoughts as the Brewers, um, like I said, have an abrupt end to their 2021 season? Certainly a major disappointment. I think pretty much every Brewer fan would echo that sentiment. Came kind of to a screeching halt as almost the Brewers were preparing for the postseason for so long. They basically had a postseason spot locked already by probably early August even with the position that they had put themselves in. And with the way the last couple weeks ended as well, they weren't exactly playing their best baseball. So you're kind of just getting ready. Okay, when are the playoffs going to start? And we had been talking about that for a while. And then especially in these series where best of five, I mean, the series started on, I think, a, a Friday and ended on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or Wednesday. And that was it. And within a four or five day span, a long weekend, essentially, the entire Brewer season was over. So it came very quickly uh, and it was a very disappointing ending, of course. I would say that even though it was maybe a little bit of a tough call about whether or not to put Hayter in in that spot, I am glad at least I feel a little bit better about losing on a Freeman home run off of Hayter rather than if it would have come off, say, Boxberger with Hayter still kind of being getting loose in the pen or just just sitting there in the pen, the, uh, the Zach Britton type dilemma. Uh, so at least the Brewers lost with their best guy out there, but at the same time, a disappointing loss. Yeah, I, I think we'll certainly get into that. And I think it was a difficult decision. I'm, I'm with you on that, that I think council made the right call. Like you said, you, you, we put our best out there. They had their best, obviously at the plate. Freeman had a great game five. Um, and that's just, you know, how it went, unfortunately. And like I said, we'll dive into that more as we get into today's episode. So to start off, normally we have our trivia question of, our, of the day. David and I, we were talking before the podcast, before we were recording and talking about how how good and how much success teams have had in the playoffs after eliminating the Brewers. David, you were mentioning, uh, I'll just phrase this as a fun fact of the day or not so fun fact, I guess, whichever way you look at it. But uh, the teams that have eliminated the Brewers have gone on to go 10-1 and one in the following series of the playoffs with that only loss being the Dodgers- losing the World Series in, in 2018, I believe, David. Is that correct? That is correct. If you look back on the Brewers' postseason history, um, actually, sorry, I should – I forgot about the 1981 appearance, so it would be 11-2. and two. The Yankees lost in the World Series after having uh, won in the ALCS that year. It doesn't really change the stat that much, though. Uh, but even if you think recently, I mean, even 2020, the Dodgers won their next – three series to win the World Series after eliminating the Brewers. Uh, 2019, the Nationals following that heartbreaking wild card game loss 
went and won three straight series in the postseason. Uh, the 2008 Phillies did that, did that as well, winning a couple of series. So I don't know if it's that the Brewers always get put up against the best teams. It doesn't seem like that. I mean, you think about this year, even with the Atlanta Braves, definitely not expected to be the favorite over the Dodgers, but they're able to pull off the upset. Maybe there's just something about the Brewers that causes teams to catch fire uh, either while or after they play them. I'd be curious to see, like, what are these numbers for other teams? Like, are there, is there, is there any sort of correlation? Like what is behind this? Because 11 and two seems a, a little bit high, uh, a little bit higher than what you would expect, but also a big enough sample where it's not like they're like four and one or something like that. Uh, and I mean, we've seen it with the Dodgers last year who were the favorites to win the title. We also saw it in 2019 where the Nationals were a wild card team and rallied to make it. The Braves defeated the Dodgers uh, being the clear underdog. So it's happened with pretty much every team that the Brewers have been defeated by throughout their, their postseason history. Yeah, and like you said, that's spanned decades uh, for the Brewers dating back to the 80s. So interesting. I, I don't know if there's any explanation that anyone could really find for that record because it's not like it's, this has all happened in the last three to four years where Brewers have had a similar team put together. I mean, talk about a completely different team, obviously, in the 80s, different different way of baseball being played. So maybe just one of those random stats that happens to fall into place, but nonetheless, uh, surprising a number there. Um, and that's today's um, trivia question or fun fact of the day. David, who's our random player of the day? So we have a few random players of the day, and they're going to be the players on the rosters of the two World Series teams, the Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. Um, we don't know exactly what the World Series rosters will look like, but we do know who was on those rosters in the championship series. For the Braves, Will Smith and Orlando Arcia, two familiar names uh, who had both uh, played for the Brewers a, year, a couple of years back, Arcia, uh, even this year, actually. Uh, and then Ahire Adrianza, I don't know if we should count him. He was actually claimed off waivers by the Brewers from the Giants. Uh, I think it was maybe 2017. And the Brewers had him for like 48 hours, and then they uh, designated him for assignment to make room on the roster for Jesus Aguilar, who they had claimed off waivers. Turned out pretty well, but ended up bouncing around a little bit before landing with the Braves. Never appeared in a game with the Brewers. And then on the Astro side, a few actually more familiar names. Jake Odorizzi, he never played for the Brewers in the major leagues, but was one of the top prospects that was sent to Kansas City already 10 years ago uh, in the Zach Grinke trade, uh, or almost 11 years ago. And Zach Grinke himself still playing and is a member of the Houston Astros. And their catcher as well, Martin Maldonado, longtime Brewers, mostly backup catcher, but started a little bit and has had a nice career bouncing around, uh, primarily around the AL West, it feels like. Um, and as now, uh, now as a starting role in Houston on uh, a team that is trying to win their second title in the last couple of years, appearing in their third World Series over the last five years. Uh, so just a few familiar faces in the World Series since the Brewers have been eliminated. A few guys who at least we can maybe feel happy about rooting for. Yeah, certainly some good names in there. Like you said, Grinky Odorizzi is always an interesting one as you think back to that trade that in involves so many relevant names, uh, both for the Brewers and the Royals a little bit as well. Grinky Odorizzi. I mean, no one, no one more relevant than Unieski Betancourt. You're right. You're right. How could I forget him? As well as as well as a lesser name, Lorenzo Cain, of course, um, who was 
both famous in both franchises really for his time with the Brewers and with the Royals, of course, um, during their run, but some interesting names there. And before we jump into recapping the Brewers series as uh, world series is set to begin shortly, who's your pick David Astros versus Braves and in how many games? If this was a, who we're rooting for, I would definitely take Atlanta, but since it's a prediction, I'd probably go Houston in six. I'll take the I'll take the hot hand, uh, the fun to watch Atlanta Braves who seem to be playing well at this point, and uh, I'll go Braves in five and go with a bold prediction here. See how that we'll see how that one uh, how that one goes. But I mean, honestly, as we all know, it of course World Series champions are not necessarily the best team, and I think we just saw another example of. It's a completely different conversation. I, I think that they stack up much better on paper. Um, and they certainly did do a good job at the deadline as well, bolstering their their roster. But um, they're definitely not the best team. Uh, I don't think they were a top four or five team in baseball. But, of course, they're sitting in the World Series. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, I will be likewise rooting for the Braves. I'm not sure that anyone else will be rooting for the Astros besides uh, their Houston residents, given their history. So. We've touched on it plenty, and I'm sure all of you Brewers fans are well aware of the results of Game 4 and 5. Uh, but just as a refresher again, Game 4, Brewers losing that one 3 to nothing, or excuse me, Games 3 and 4, I should say. Brewers losing that one 3 to nothing. Freddie Peralta starting in that game, and then Brewers losing, of course, Game 4, 5-4 in heartbreaking fashion. Um, I think we'll spend most of the time probably breaking down Game 4, but uh, just to start uh, Game 3 here, Freddie Peralta going four innings, an interesting situation for Council, of course, opting to take Peralta out for the pinch hitter. We saw a lot of hard hit balls right at guys. Um, just a tough game overall from the offense. What were your uh, takeaways from game three? I think what kind of set the tone for that game was the extremely difficult managerial decision in the uh, the top of the fifth. Uh, you mentioned it lifting Freddie Peralta early. He had looked so good earlier in the game, and it would have been really nice to get six, seven innings out of Freddie Peralta, maybe no runs, one run. It didn't look like the Braves were really going to catch up to him at, at any point. So that was a big move. I don't know that I necessarily would fault Craig Council for making that move. Brian Snicker then had, I think, first and second with one out. Ian Anderson uh, had pitched five really good innings uh, so far, and he lifted Anderson for Jock Peterson, three-run shot, and that ended up being uh, what decided the game. Uh, and off Adrian Hauser, although I don't know that it was necessarily Hauser's fault. It was a, a two-strike fastball just up above the zone. Peterson just hit it out of the ballpark. One of those pitches that not a bad pitch. There's just nothing you can really do about it. So that was what kind of set the tone. I mean, the bats never got going. Although I would say that the the offense did have more hard-hit balls um, than you would have thought based on the, the result and the score. I think the Brewers had the top five hardest hit balls of that game uh, or, or four of the top five, something around there. They had opportunities, especially like seventh, eighth, ninth innings. Uh, they had, I think, two runners on each of those innings and just weren't able to get the big hit when they needed to. And that ended up being the deciding part of the game was really the, uh, the, the clutch hits when they needed them. Uh, and that's after, I would say, after game one, um, outside of that, that rowdy home run, that kind of was how the offense was. It wasn't good, but a lot of the time they got their opportunities and they just weren't able to come through. Um, and of course, game four, they did score four runs, which is more than the Brewers offense usually scored during the regular season. 
But at the same time, uh, they still had some of their opportunities. Even Garcia with a leadoff single in the top of the ninth. And then the Wong failed bunt. I don't know if Wong was bunting for a hit or maybe sack bunting, but they weren't able to get Garcia in to tie the game. And that ended up sealing their fate. Yeah, that was a little bit of a strange bunt. Like you said, it, it looked like he was more so trying to bunt for a hit. I don't know if he was trying to get cute on what really should have been a sacrifice bunt. I mean, down by one, bottom of the ninth, season's on the line. Pretty clear what you're trying to do there. Last thing you want to do is, of course, what he did do and uh, is what it is, of course, at this point. But that was a big, big, you know, shift in, in how the inning is going. Instead of, you know, one out runner on second, you've got two shots on a base hit with Christian Yelich on deck. Um, and instead you know, not able to get the runner over. Of course, Braves are going to play deep. So at that point, it's a lot, lot tougher to bring in a run. But um, just wanted to bring back to to game three. Like you said, Freddie Peralta was pitching an excellent game. 0 for 8 as a team with runners in scoring position. Uh, I know I'll be echoing a lot of the same things that you said, but I, I did feel a lot more. I, it was a frustrating game to watch for the Brewers offense, but it was frustrating, I think, in a different way because, like you said, there were a fair amount of hard hit balls you know, right at guys, line drives to the outfield that ended up being caught. Yelich, I don't know, I remember hitting him, uh, him hitting about 100 mile an hour uh, ground ball up the middle that, you know, normal positioning was a base hit. But of course, with the shift ended up being a double play. So seemed like they they fell into a lot of those. I It was frustrating game to watch, but I also felt like um, it was also uh, just a string of bad luck. And then, of course, game four, we touched on at the beginning, council's decision to bring in Josh Hader in the eighth. Um, and then, of course, that's first pitch slider to Hater, or excuse me, to, to Freeman that he knocked out of the park. But even before then, Eric Lauer, who got the start, uh, there was some debate over who should be starting that game. I don't know if, what were your thoughts on on Lauer starting game four. The, the Of course, the idea of Corbin Burns was floated. Even Adrian Hauser a little bit. Peralta was probably available. They were kind of a, a slew of options. So just want to know your thoughts on the Brewers' decision to start Lauer in that situation. Corbin Burns made it sound like he wasn't quite fully recovered from his game one start. It seemed like that idea was possibly on the table going into the series, but it sounds like Burns at least said that he didn't really recover the way that he wanted to. Um, Now, of course, we don't know for sure if that's the case because a lot of the time players will just say that. Um, And I'm, I'm not certainly not faulting Burns for not starting in game four. Uh, Freddie Peralta had thrown 51 pitches the day before. So the one thing is if you do start Burns in game four, you still have Woodruff ready on on normal rest in game five and probably Freddie Peralta coming off 51 pitches on two days rest. And you could maybe piggyback them into game five. And then you're going with your best guy in game four over Eric Lauer. And you can use Lauer out of the pen a little bit, uh, or maybe have Burns go two with two, three innings out of the pen. Uh, I think once, once the Burns wasn't ready to start, that it seemed pretty clear he was going to be the one ready for game five. So they decided to use Woodruff out of the pen instead. And I would have liked to see Woodruff maybe go two full innings or maybe even a little little bit more than he did. He went one and a third uh, and he looked excellent, Uh, but it's possible they also wanted him ready for uh, a game five if they needed him. So, I mean, they were kind of put in a tough spot. Lauer's start was, it was okay. Uh, but I thought they lifted him at the right time, maybe one batter early, but uh, but especially in a game where you have the possibility of being eliminated, you kind of have to make those moves a little bit maybe earlier than you'd like. Yeah, Lauer never, I thought, settled in or looked too sharp, um, kind of in some ways struggled through 
a couple of innings. I agree. If Burns wasn't going to make that start, then I think Lauer is your guy. And certainly he had earned it with his performance in the regular season. Didn't quite have it, or at least his best stuff in this game. And I agree. They, they did take him out at, I think, the right time. Um, certainly wouldn't have wanted to keep him in much longer. And it was unfortunate that Strickland's the one coming in the game. Of course, you think back to the Devin Williams injury. And of course, we don't need to spend too much time on that. But of course, we all know Devin Williams was not available for the whole series, which certainly hurt. Uh, the other thing I would agree with, with with you as well is Woodruff only going one and a third in that game. You think about some of the other options that are pitching in in the in late in the games. With all these games, you know there were no there was no blowout in the series. Um, and you think about Hunter Strickland, Cousins, Boxberger. You know they all had solid seasons, some better than others. But if your options are Brandon Woodruff or any of those three guys, of course I think we'd all take Woodruff um, any day of the week. So to think about Strickland coming in. Uh, maybe it was too early for Woodruff to come in. Maybe Woodruff, maybe not Wood, maybe, but Woodruff would likely take longer to get ready than than Strickland being a starter, starting pitcher. But nonetheless, to see Strickland come in um, and then Ashby also gave up a couple of runs as well. Uh, I would have liked to see a bigger role from Woodruff in, like you said, a must-win game uh, in game four. One thing also is I know that they had said they weren't going to do this going in, but I would have liked to see them at least – consider using Hader for multiple innings. It was clear they weren't going to do that when they did not double switch him into the game uh, in, in going into the eighth inning. And of course it, it didn't really end up mattering. Now, maybe you, you, you're not really going to, I guess you're not really going to move up Hader and have him pitch the seventh and the eighth. But I felt like in a game like that, I'd rather have Hader, even if Hader's not used to going more than one inning at a time, I'd much rather have Hader for a second inning than, an, another inning from Hunter Strickland or Yandel Gustave or right. even Brad Boxberger <laughs> for that matter. So that was one other thing that didn't end up really mattering in the end. But overall, I I wasn't the biggest fan of them deciding to go that route with uh, with Josh Hader only pitching one inning as as that seemed to be the plan all along. Yeah, and Council was very clear about that, and I think you and myself and a lot of other Brewers fans went, yeah, okay, sure, you can say that, but wait till we get to a game four, game five elimination game, and we'll see what you really do, and yeah, we were we were talking during the game, during that game four, and when they didn't double switch, we were very surprised. I, I'm 100% on board with you on, you know, regardless of the negative impact they might have had on Hater, like you said, uh, a not as good Hater is better than pretty much any other arm besides maybe you could make the case for Devin Williams, who of course wasn't there. So uh, we could definitely nitpick that um, over and over. And that was definitely heartbreaking. Um, that, that home run from Freeman brought me back to 2019 Trent Grisham error in, in right field. That one was very painful, but this one I think hurt a little bit more just given the expectation. I think 2019 Brewers, we were still hopeful for the Brewers, but going into the pl playoffs this year for the Brewers, really high, high hopes. I think had the Brewers not made it to the World Series, it would have been a disappointment. And to lose in the NLDS to the Braves uh, was certainly that. So any final thoughts about the series, David, before we move on to our next topic? No, not really. I think it kind of magnified some of the Brewers' issues they had, the offense. The Christian Yelich final at bat to end the year was almost the epitome of Christian Yelich's season, unfortunately. Uh, just some of those issues I, I think were magnified in the short series uh, that we'll, we'll be sure to touch on in the coming episodes uh, relating to what the Brewers might need to do for the offseason. Uh, so, of course, a disappointing loss, but the Brewers have to get ready 
uh, for next season already start thinking about what they're going to do. Uh, and they already kind of started that process with the firing of Andy Haynes hitting coach. Uh, I know some people are saying like, this is the answer. Now the Brewers have it figured out on the offensive side of things. I'm not in that camp. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, I don't know really what Andy Haynes role was with the team, how much of an impact he had positively or negatively on the offense. And there's really no way of knowing that from the outside. I don't necessarily disagree with the move. The Brewers offense was not really very good. Yelich, of course, taking big steps back in 2020. And then again this year, Jackie Bradley Jr. having the worst season we've seen in like 20 years on the offensive side of things. Uh, and just a number of things going wrong from the offensive side of things under Andy Haynes. Uh, and he's been there for a few years now. It's not like he was a new coach brought in. Uh, but that was one of the moves that the Brewers decided to do right away uh, from the outset of the offseason. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about Andy Haynes, whether or not maybe that was a good move, what the Brewers could have done and said it, if you do believe it was a, a bad move? Uh, and just what are some of your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think it was the correct move to make, like you said, two rough years. Of course, 2020 was a really rough year offensively for the Brewers. They also didn't have a lot of weapons. Um, not, not that their offense this year was completely stacked with uh, amazing talent, but you think about who they did have. And of course, Christian Yelich is the big one. Um, but even going past that, at the end of the day, the offense didn't have a great year. That's two years in a row. Of course, Andy Haynes being the leader of the offense. I, I think there does, it, it kind of comes to the end of the line and he's the one who's ultimately responsible. Again, we can go back and forth on what kind of impact hitting coaches have. We've seen, uh, clearly it, it does matter. I mean, you think about some of the the very good hitting or pitching coaches. Um, I, I even think of, you know, Mike Maddox with the Cardinals. I, I think it's, quite evident um, the value that he adds as a pitching coach um, or even uh, Brewers, former pitching coach that they lost to the Reds. I'm blanking on his name. Derek Johnson. Um, that's right. Derek Johnson. I, I think you, you, you could clearly see, I mean, he came in, turned around guys like Chase Anderson and Kyle Davies, no Zach Davies um, and turned them into pretty solid starters. Uh, I, I think you could see the value that he brought Andy Haynes. Uh, I definitely didn't couldn't, you couldn't see the value that he brought in. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Maybe the new, the next guy up will um, be able to, to get something out of Christian Yelich. Does Yelich, you know, have a good year next year? And, and the answer is the Brewers' new hitting coach. I, I don't think so. So to what extent he has an impact, like you said, we, we can just talk about it all day. But he does have some say at the end of the day. I think it's more he's the leader of the offense and the leader of the offense has not been successful the last couple of years. Yeah, maybe bring in Harvey Keene as a team's hitting coach, uh, good with the players, um, as, as evidenced back in the uh, early 80s. Uh, I know that the hitters liked him as a, a hitting coach when he was uh, in that role in the late 70s, too. Yeah, I mean, what else do you need from a hitting coach? Good with, good with the players, uh, fat lip. You were pretty much set. <laughs> yeah, walked with a, a limp, because I think he had... Yep. Did he have one of it? I think he had one of his legs amputated, or maybe not amputated, but... no. Some uh, there was something there. Yeah, I, there was like maybe a knee replacement or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, Harvey Keene long gone. And uh, I, I don't think the Brewers choosing to go someone quite that old school. Yeah, actually, I, I love to see a, a Gorman Thomas hiring just this weekend. I was uh, over at the the West Bend Farmers Market, which is not exactly the, the biggest event by any means. But I'm, I'm walking through the tables, you know, they're selling broccoli and 
honey and all those random maple syrup type of Wisconsin farmers market events. All of a sudden I take a double take because Gorman Thomas is over there selling some maple syrup at a tent. Don't ask me why Gorman Thomas was selling maple syrup at the West Bend farmers market, but uh, you know, casually ran into to Gor- Storm and Gorman um, in downtown West Bend. So maybe he, he'll be looking for a job. Brewers could hire him as the, the new, uh, the new hitting coach and the Brewers offense can start focusing on, on getting a lot of RBIs. Yeah. Well, that's what's most important and playing that good center field defense. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what route the Brewers go with the hitting coach. Chances are they'll hire someone that neither of us have heard of before. And we'll probably say that it seems like a good move on paper because most of the moves that the Brewers make pan out, uh, but not all of them as evidenced by this Andy Haynes one. And actually speaking of coaching moves, I uh, was just scrolling through uh, the Twitter feed just now, and it looks like the Cardinals have pegged their new manager, Oliver Marmol, who was their bench coach this past year. Uh, Marmol's a 35-year-old who's actually uh, would have been the ninth oldest player on the roster this year only uh, if, if he would have been on the Cardinals. Uh, he's a few years younger than Wainwright, Molina, um, even I think just a year older than Paul Goldschmidt. So uh, a younger hire, uh, somebody who's familiar with the players, been in the organization a long time. Uh, and uh, I mean, clearly they think that he might be the answer following that bold move of firing Mike Schilt after a very successful year. Uh, so just some news on the coaching front there, especially within the division here with the St. Louis Cardinals having their new manager, Oliver Marmol, wanted to point that out uh, as we record this on Sunday night. And is he a guy that's been with the Cardinals uh, essentially for the, the majority of his career, I'm assuming? Um, I believe he has. I know he's been the bench coach for uh, at least a couple of years. Uh, I don't. I couldn't tell you if he spent his whole uh, career there. I, I don't know even how long his playing career lasted. I know he did play at least some minor league ball. Um, he was drafted, I think, in 2008, uh, so not, not that long ago. Um, we know that as the Brett Laurie draft, of course. Um, so, so not too long ago, uh, but uh, I, I do know that he has been at least in the Cardinals organization for a little bit of time, a few years, and it will be interesting to see how that move pans out for St. Louis. Yeah, certainly could backfire. Of course, there's a lot of pressure on him, I think, to succeed. You see the Cardinals have a down year next year after, of course, the very successful end that they had um, to the regular season of this year and then the abrupt firing. I think that will be under scrutiny as far as his success goes in St. Louis. But um, yeah, interesting, interesting news there. Uh, final topic here today, David. Uh, I know we would always go through Tom Hodricourt's player grades uh, via the Journal Sentinel each year. So let's uh, do our own version of player grades. Hopefully we'll be a little bit less harsh. Uh, I know we always remembered Hodricourt giving out a lot of C's and D's to players. And uh, it's not like we live, we grew up in the uh, the bad brewers year of, of the 90s. These were like, you know, the 2010s with, of course, the 2011 season then some not so great years in there as well. But he always seemed like a tough grader. So um, we'll do our own version of player grades and team grades today for the Brewers. And if you could just touch on the basis or criteria for your grades, as well as what constitutes an A, B, C, and et cetera. Yeah, so the criteria is based off of uh, base, basically how the, the player performed relative to the expectation. So, uh, for example, if if Christian Yelich posts a hypothetically 248 average and slugs only 373, three uh, during the course of a year he will not receive that good of a grade but if Billy McKinney were to do that 
Billy McKinney might receive, say, a, a B plus or a B or, or something pretty positively. So while it is based on performance, it also has to do with expectations. Uh, generally, someone who is, I would say, kind of as we expected, uh, did a reasonable job for the role that they uh, that they had would be someone who would receive about a C. Uh, a B is someone who was pretty successful, uh, maybe did a little bit better than we would have anticipated. A is someone who really did much better than uh, than we would have hoped uh, or even expected at that point. Um, and A plus is someone who essentially was, you couldn't have really expected anything more out of them. Uh, so that's kind of the basic criteria for how we're going to be grading the players. Uh, and we, I mean, we're going to gloss over some of the, the players no, uh, no John Axford grade, no Blaine Hardy grade. Uh, some of those guys will will give incompletes. I think John Axford should get a pass-fail grade. I'm definitely giving him a pass uh, for his uh, 2021 season. But we'll start off with position players here. Uh, start off behind the dish with the Brewer starter and all-star Omar Narvaez. What is your grade for Narvaez? We have Narvaez a B plus, uh, especially coming off last year. Didn't really know what to expect and. I think what kind of what leads him to the B plus is uh, in part his offense. His offense was pretty good. It was around league average of a hitter, which is pretty valuable for a catcher. But also hitters really like, or excuse me, pitchers really liked throwing to him. Thought he was a really good catcher behind the dish. You could even see the improvement just from 2020 to 2021 uh, from his his blocking skills, uh, his receiving skills. Uh, the, the factors that go into being a catcher uh, defensively at the major league level. And I thought he did a really good job of that. So for that reason, I'm going to give Narvaez a B plus. Yeah, I actually go A minus with him. Of course, that all-star appearance, great first half offensively, improved defense. Like you said, there were still some times um, where, you know, wish he was maybe a little bit more of a sound defender back there. But you also give that up when you got a pretty good bat in Narvaez. Like you said, basically about league average as a hitter, which is, you know, pretty valuable behind the dish. And I think as far as expectations go, uh, I don't think Narvaez could have been much better. And given the, the low expectations he set for himself after last year, I think we have to be pretty happy with his performance next year. And if we see a similar performance um, in 2022, that certainly would be a win in my book. So Omar Narvaez, um, of course, the Brewers starting catcher. Let's move on to first base with uh, big Daniel Vogelback. Vogelback, I'm going to give a, a C minus. Uh, nothing that he did that was like, he wasn't a liability at first base, uh, but I mean, he was fine. I would say his his power numbers were a little bit down from what we would have hoped. Of course, he had that major hamstring injury, although uh, maybe he got bumped up from a D plus to a C minus just for uh, continuing to run home after that, uh, that severe hamstring strain. Uh, but he didn't quite produce as much as we would have hoped. And of course, acquiring Rowdy Telez didn't help his case, uh, but he did have a good amount of plate appearances in the first half where he could have gotten things together and uh, didn't really, I would say, quite live up to expectations, uh, but was still a, a pretty solid pinch hitter towards the end of the year. The pinch hit grand slam, of course, uh, in, in September against the Cardinals. So I'm going C minus for big Dan. Yeah, I'd agree with you. We'd go C minus just slightly below average. Of course that, like you said, certainly will be remembered for the walk-off grand slam and overall had a pretty forgettable year. Um, not a lot, a lot of production from him. So I'll be right with you there with a C minus. How about Colton Wong? I'm going to go B for Colton Wong. The defense was, I would say, as expected, which is excellent. 
I mean, he's probably the best defensive second baseman in Major League Baseball. But the bat was actually a little bit better than I would have expected. Uh, ended up being a pretty solid leadoff hitter, especially after Kane went down with injury. And had a 447 slugging, 335 on base. Both pretty solid numbers for a second baseman who really can pick it out, out at the uh, second base position. Colton Wong, a B for me. Yeah, I'd even go B-plus for Wong. I was pleasantly surprised with the season he had. Sprinkled in a couple injuries throughout the year um, where he was out. But when he was on the field, like you said, excellent defender. And he surprised me with with the bat. And I could see him leading off again for the Brewers next year, depending on the way that they structure their lineup. How about Willie Adames? I'm going with an A for Willie Adames. The only knock on him is he went a little bit cold uh, around August, September time frame. But he really revitalized the Brewers when they fired him in May. No secret. We seem like we talked about that pretty much every episode throughout the summer. But Adamus really did a nice job uh, with the Brewers. Picked up that offense that was basically one of the worst offenses in baseball and at least got them to a point where they could uh, be as good as they were as a team, not really be a liability, uh, even if they were never quite an average offense. Uh, 366 on base, 521 slugging out of a, a shortstop. Excellent numbers. A for Willie Adamas. Yeah, I'm going to go with an A as well. And uh, I don't think I have to add much more than what you said. Just curious here, of course, we'll be talking more about this. We've got months to, to break this down. But uh, in, in about 10 seconds, what are your expectations for Adamas uh, in 2022 after he tries to follow up this you know outstanding season that he had this year? Uh, I mean, I think it's a little bit unreasonable to expect him to put up numbers like he did this year. I do still think he'll be a pretty good offensive performer, though. Pretty good with the glove already. Uh, I think it, we could expect somebody who's maybe a, a 270 hitter around there, maybe on base of around 340, slugs 480 maybe, uh, contributes about 25, 20, 25 home runs over the course of a full season. Uh, so a pretty solid shortstop, somebody that's under team control for a, a few more years. Uh, I think the expectation certainly will be pretty high for Adamus, but uh, but looking forward to see what he can do in a Brewers uniform next year as well. Yeah, like you said, controllable, only 25, a lot of upside, middle infielder, good defender, a lot of value in Adam Mason. Of course, that was a huge trade for the Brewers this year. Another young infielder who has a lot of promise, only 24, Luis Urias, who had a poor year last year, really turned around uh, and had a good year. So how would you rate his year? I give Urias a B plus. Uh, he, yeah, he didn't have a, a good year at all. Uh, last year, uh, 2020, uh, but he really turned it around, even though he was a shortstop, and then they traded for Adames, he was the third baseman, they traded for Escobar, he still led the team in uh, games played and played appearances, and was second in home runs with 23, really did everything you could have asked for out of him and more, had a 111 OPS plus, uh, was I think worth about two and a half wins above replacement, somebody who also is under team control for a, a number of years uh, beyond this one. Uh, Urias really had a good year, and I hope they give him uh, kind of the uh, the keys to the third base position next year. Yeah, I agree. Very happy with the season he had. I'd, I'd give him an A-. minus. Um, really couldn't have been much better than what we had expected. Even just thinking about some of those big plays he made to end the inning, I think it was three consecutive innings in game four of the series against the Braves where he got the final out and – one of those I know was that diving backhanded play, which was very under the radar. Would have been an, an RBI double. Um, kept the Brewers in the game at that point. That was a huge play. I know he had his, his share of defensive struggles for that time at shortstop, but was super happy with, with how he's performed. And Adames and Urias, really excited to see 
what, what those two young infielders can do. Yeah, and one, one stat that I saw, Urias was actually one of just uh, 15 players to put up two and a half war or more among position players who are at least uh, 24 or younger. Uh, people forget how young Urias is. Um, and I'm not going to go through the whole list, but uh, you look at some of the names on the list. Uh, I mean, Dylan Carlson, young, uh, I would say budding superstar in St. Louis, Luis Robert, Jonathan India, um, Austin Riley, who a uh, very good performer for the, the Braves, Fernando Tatis. So he's right up there with uh, many of the young stars. I would put him maybe, maybe one notch below, uh, but he's proving himself to be a very good big leaguer already at a pretty young age. Yeah, I think we can expect to see Adames and Urias be everyday starters for the Brewers in the next couple of years. So um, really good to have that that uh, left side of the infield hopefully locked up for the next couple of years. So Christian Yelich, uh, David, your rating for Christian Yelich this year? D. Um, this is a tough one because we don't know if he was fully healthy. Um, he still put up pretty good on base numbers, 362 average, but the Brewers aren't paying him to be a, a Brandon Nemo type, uh, somebody who strikes out a lot walks a lot, doesn't really do much else. Um, so we didn't see the production that we needed out of Yelich. Only nine home runs across 117 games, 475 plate appearances. So that was really where the, the where the the talent for Yelich was lacking. The production was the power numbers. I'm going to go a D for Yelich, even though he was about an average player, uh, just short of that. Yeah, I'm going to go D minus. Uh, again, really rough year for him. Like you said, power numbers gone, but I, and I and I don't think the expectations were you know an MVP 2019 season. I, don't, I think that's unrealistic, but I think that it, it was evident that he was not the best hitter for the Brewers this year, and we were all waiting for him to turn it around. I, you know, at any point we thought he could flip a switch. All of a sudden, we were going to see 2019 Yelich. I thought maybe in the playoffs we'd see that. Of course, we didn't. Like you said, that last at bat was very fitting to sum up not only his year for the for the um, offense, but really the Brewers' offense um, at times as well. So, yeah, we'd have to go with a D-minus with Yelich, and that's really because of the high expectations, of course. Like you said, it's it's a little comical because he was about an average hitter, um, but yet the expectations are so high for him at this point. And Brewers are going to be paying him $25 million a year, and, and they certainly won't be happy with an average player um, doing that. Otherwise, they could have just uh, re-signed Jeff Supon for another year. So Jackie Bradley Jr., another uh, another great year for another uh, strong, strong grade here. Jackie Bradley Jr., what do you have? I mean, it has to be an F, 34 OPS plus. I believe that among players with at least 400 plate appearances, that's the worst this century. So uh, since since uh, the 19th or the excuse me, the 20th century, uh, the maybe the worst hitter for as much as he played. And he was supposed to be at least maybe close to average offensively. Uh, and then, I mean, he did provide his good defense, but when you're pretty much unplayable at the plate, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. If, if he wasn't a good defender, I'm not really sure how I would have, what, what grade I would have given him that's lower than F. But unfortunately, just never got anything going with the bat and pretty much have to give JBJ an F. Yeah, we were both feeling relatively confident going into the year that he was going to have a bounce back year this year. We thought it was the 2020 uh, effect or whatever you want to call that. And yeah, of course, got to go with an F. Um, like I said, worst year in baseball offensively, little value defensively on the bases, which, which is the only thing that got him on the playoff roster, of course. And uh, my Keon Broxton reference or comparison, Keon would have been a, a much, much better, <laughs> much, much better player this year for the Brewers than 
than JBJ this year, unfortunately, who of course will be back. Um, assuming he selects his, his option to return, which will obviously be a no brainer. Yeah. Looking at the, the breakdown, JBJ was negative 0.7 war, uh, but even comparing him to average, he was still 12 runs better than average with the glove, uh, which average, I mean, average is about two wins above replacement. So very good mark, two runs above average on the base pass, uh, but 34 below average with the bat, which is uh, not not the number that you want to see out of Jackie Bradley Jr. Absolutely, absolutely. So moving on to the other starting outfielder, well, I guess JBJ was not exactly a starting outfielder, but Avi Sail Garcia, who led the Brewers' uh, offense in RBIs. What was your grade for Avi? I give him a, a B plus. Uh, was very solid, very consistent, probably the most consistent offensive performer from the beginning of the year all the way until the end. Slugged 490, 29 home runs, uh, and, I mean, pretty much did what you were hoping Avicel Garcia would do. Uh, he was a pretty good offensive performer and kind of is is uh, tapping into the uh, the upside that we've known he's had for a long time. So I give him a, a pretty good grade there, a B+. Yeah, I agree. The consistency was what was important and very valuable for a Brewers offense that was a little bit up and down at times. We, of course, had the very, very slow start at the beginning, then took off when Adamius got there, and then later in the season and into the playoffs, the offense lacked. But he was there in the middle of the lineup every day, um, didn't always put up the best at-bats, swung out a, a few too many sliders in the dirt, brought back uh, Ryan Braun's uh, memories. But overall, happy with his performance this year, and we'll see what his future holds with the Brewers. So moving on to the Brewers, uh, I would say backup, but some of these aren't necessarily even some of the backups, but guys who got a little bit less played appearances, uh, some of those based off of injury, uh, one of those guys being Lorenzo Cain. What would be your grade for the Brewers center fielder? i give Lorenzo Cain a, a B. His offenses, offensive numbers weren't great. I mean, he was close to average, uh, but he did nice down the stretch and performed pretty well. Uh, going into that playoff series with Atlanta. So I, I thought he was a, a pretty good player, especially something, uh, someone who's already 35, so a little bit older uh, and still a pretty good performer. I give Kane a B. It's interesting to see that his offense seems to have lagged just a little bit over the last couple of years, like you said, as he continues to age uh, more than his defense. And you would you would expect the opposite from a guy who is – you know, so quick out there, willing to give up everything. I mean, man, that catch that he that he had um, against oh. the Braves running into the wall. I mean, I I know it's a, every announcer says, you know, catch of the year or the greatest catch they've seen. But, man, if he holds on to that ball, that's got to be a top five catch that I've seen um, anyone make. And much less Lorenzo Cain, age 35. Um, I'm sure not in great – not in, not in uh, pure health either playing in October – uh, baseball, man, that would have just been an outstanding catch had he been able to hold on or just popped it up in the air for uh, Garcia, I believe it was over there. But, man, still 35, um, but has shown that he can continue to play. Um, I still think he'll continue to be valuable, both as a clubhouse guy, but also a strong defender and a decent back of the um, end of the lineup hitter as well. So Jace Peterson, who is kind of around the diamond, um, primarily over at second base, on base, Jace. What's your rating for him this year? Jace Peterson had a really nice year, uh, filled in around the diamond. I um, mean, you had Colton Wong get hurt, um, some uh, lackluster performance from Keston Hira, Vogelback injury, 
injury to Yelich, um, to uh, Lorenzo Cain, Tyrone Taylor, that he filled in for all those, helped mitigate uh, the impact of, of those injuries pretty well. Uh, and he uh, was pretty good on the base paths as well and versatile. Um, B-plus for Jace Peterson. Did pretty much anything you could have asked for him. Um, and 348 on base percentage. Uh, kind of a, a better Jake Elmore, uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> I, I, I liked what I saw from Peterson, B-plus. I think it's everyone's dream to be compared to a, a better version of Jake Elmore. But I'd even go A-minus for Jace because I think you think about what the Brewers expected from him, which, like you said, was not much of anything. Um, he could have been a non-factor completely, but instead was very valuable in his versatility. Um, like you said, 348 on base. Um, a pretty good pretty good uh, bat just to get on base. And like you said, fill in uh, when needed. So I thought he was very valuable, and I'd even give him an A-minus as somebody who was a, a very – it very much exceeded expectations. Um, another player, actually, that has very much exceeded expectations as well, I thought was Tyrone Taylor. Um, he had just under 250 at-bats, uh, similar number of appearances as Jace. Um, but Taylor, you know, batted 247, 457 slugging, uh, 321 on base. Pretty good numbers from a guy who's, you know, been in the minors for a while. I think a fair amount of people had already written him off. Pretty good defense, good base running was definitely an asset uh, off the bench. And I'm intrigued to see the impact that he'll have next year and the years following, I think, especially depending on the situation that we see with Abisayel Garcia. Yeah, I would give Taylor a, a B plus. The only reason I would knock him down from a, a minus to B plus is a little bit of a lack of consistency. He seemed like he went on a, had like a two week tear where he was really good. I mean, I, I could be wrong. I, I it, Sometimes our eyes deceive us a little bit, but that's what it seemed like that, um, he had stretches where he'd be really good, and then he would be, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say unplayable, but um, definitely take a dive with his offensive production. But overall, did a really good job. Uh, like you were saying, slugged 457. Um, he uh, belted 12 home runs in, in 271 plate appearances. So um, overall, did a nice job as the uh, fifth outfielder for the Brewers. Yeah, he's uh, definitely was filling in well in that fifth outfielder role. I guess if you want to place him behind Jackie Bradley Jr., which I guess is an insult to Taylor, but um, we'll, I'm, I'm interested to see what, what kind of year he puts up next year, especially if he's given more regular playing time as well. So as we wrap up here, a couple of more guys, uh, Manny Pena, who been with the Brewers a long time. Uh, they're essentially backup catcher this year behind Narvaez. We have Pena C. Uh, he had an injury uh, during the year, but overall was, uh, I mean, he hit 189, uh, but showed good power numbers, hit 13 home runs um, in uh, 208 plate appearances and was pretty solid defensively with the, uh, with the glove. So I'd give him a C. I think he pretty much did uh, maybe a C plus, I guess, give him. Uh, it did a little bit more than you would have expected and uh, hopefully he can get a starting job somewhere else looking like he might be gone in free agency this off season. Yeah. Interesting that Narvaez, is of course, all-star, this year um, seemed to be the much better hitter throughout the year. 99 OPS plus, like we said, just a touch below league average. Manny Pena, who batted 189 uh, on the surface, may not look like he had much of a good year. OPS plus of 94. So like you said, those power numbers from Pena, uh, as well as the defense that he provides, I like Pena behind the plate from a defensive perspective. Um, frankly, I didn't realize that his underlying stats were that strong either. I was more so looking at that batting average and going, yeah, probably a backup catcher. But like you said, um, certainly 
maybe a Martin Maldonado-esque career coming for Pena. Um, but we'll see if he's able to get a deal. I'd love to have him back with the Brewers, but at the price point that he may be able to attain in free agency, it may make more sense for him to, to grab a starting role this year. And by all means, uh, it's definitely good for him. So uh, another another uh, sub-200 hitter, Travis Shaw, um, making his comeback to the Brewers. A rather short-lived one. What was your grade for Travis Shaw this year? We have Shaw a D. Uh, he he was okay. I mean, he wasn't really, a, again, wasn't really a liability, uh, but really didn't hit much. Uh, he had that one big hit against the Dodgers. I think it was in early May. Uh, either a walk-off or game-tying hit uh, in a pretty big series there. Uh, but hit just 191 and only hit six home runs in 202 plate appearances. It didn't quite live up to expectations and then had that pretty bad injury in June. Ended up uh, going to the Red Sox and um, – had some meaningful at-bats down the stretch and into October with Boston, but overall didn't really, didn't really produce much um, with the, uh, with the Brewers. Although I would, I would say I do enjoy looking at his baseball reference page with the uh, symmetrical uh, career arc, uh, Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston. Um, So we'll see, we'll see what he does. Maybe he'll start it over and um, go another year in Boston. And then before going back to the Brewers, Uh, but I, I, I digress a little bit. Um, <laughs> I guess not much to say with Travis off. I'm talking about his symmetrical baseball reference page. <laughs> yeah, a, a very, uh, I guess, uh, boring 2021 season from him. Of course, short-lived. Not a lot to talk about. Uh, I think he was below expectations as well. Uh, but ended up paving the way, I guess, for uh, Vogelback and Telez, who uh, – Telez, of course, that the, the home run in the series against the Braves and really was the starter – um, in the second half um, or later in the year for the Brewers, what would be your grade for big Rowdy Telez? Uh, I give Rowdy Telez a B plus. I thought he did a nice job. Uh, 481 slugging, uh, clubbed seven home runs in a short, pretty short time with the Brewers. And also had those two big home runs in the playoffs. I think that definitely counts for something when we're grading these players. Um, and was probably, I mean, because of those two home runs was probably their best offensive performer in that short-lived NLDS. Uh, so I'd give a, a B plus for Rowdy Telez. Did a nice job and hope they bring him back uh, for this year and give him at least a good amount of playing time next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to see the Brewers do that as well. So uh, final two players here, Keston Hira. Uh, uh, unfortunately, probably got to give the F for Keston Hira. His swing seems way different than it was a couple of years ago. I don't know if that's something that the Brewers consciously tried to do, uh, or maybe it's something that the uh, uh, that the that he sought outside help for that really just hasn't worked. But uh, he just looks lost at the plate Uh, in Nashville and AAA. He was okay, but here it needs to be a a very good hitter to to be a valuable major leaguer uh, with the amount of uh, defensive value that he provides or lack thereof. Uh, So unfortunately, kind of a lost season for Keston Hira. Uh, in his development. And we were hoping that this might be the year that he establishes himself as a, a consistent performer, uh, a good offensive player for the Brewers at a, either first base, second base, or maybe DH in the coming years. But uh, this year, not that year, apparently. Yeah, the DH could help alleviate some of the pressure that he faces as a poor defender, like you said. Um, so maybe next year we see the DH and that helps him um, have a bit of a comeback. But I think you summed it up very well in saying it was a lost season for um, who was thought to be a budding superstar for the Brewers. We'll see uh, what, what remains for him um, in his time with the Brewers and, and in baseball. So we'll see 
um, after a tough year this year and last year. And finally, to wrap things up, four position players, Eduardo Escobar, the Brewers infielder, uh, midseason acquisition. I'd give Escobar a B. Um, he was, or, or maybe maybe B minus. Um, he he was expected to be a relatively versatile switch hitting uh, guy to kind of lengthen the lineup a little bit, and he did do that to some degree. Uh, also got hurt with the Brewers, but then he went, he just went cold in in uh, the short series. That I would I would dock him a little bit for that. Uh, maybe uh, down from a uh, uh, down just a little bit, but. Uh, he was, I mean, he was fine uh, in the regular season. I, I would say kind of what we would have expected um, and and what we would have expected, um, but which is an above average player, which is basically what he was. So we'll see if they choose to bring him back. But that's where I'd go with Escobar. Yeah, I would be surprised if they do choose to bring him back given uh, the infield at this point, but I would give him a C. I wasn't super thrilled with the performance we saw, I guess, sort of just kind of expectations in his partial season with the Brewers and, uh, not necessarily any notable memories either or clutch hitting that he had um, in the playoffs as well. So I know that was a lot to digest, but uh, that was our position player grades. I will, I'll spare everyone from going back and summarizing all of them. But before we wrap up, we got a fair amount of incomplete players. Just wanted to run those past you. Mario Feliciano, Corey Ray, Derek Fisher, Tim Lopes, Orlando Arcia, Jacob Nottingham, Luke Maley, Pablo Reyes, Daniel Robertson, and Billy McKinney. Funny to think back that this was the year that Daniel Robertson was uh, we were talking about him potentially having a bounce back year this year. It feels like forever ago. Um, but any of those names um, stick out to you um, or anything notable from their performances this year? I thought Pablo Reyes did a pretty good job. Uh, I mean, I, it's not like I enjoyed watching him play that much. I mean, he was he's basically just your AAA guy that comes up because you need some depth uh, to uh, come up in, with the injuries that happened to the Brewers. But uh, he, he did fine. I mean, hit 256. and he hit a home run. So uh, he did, he, he did fine. Um, and I, I also kind of forget that Arcia was on the Brewers this year, Mario Feliciano. He, uh, he walked one time and started right. a run. Uh, that was, I think that, I think that was in the Travis Shaw game that I was mentioning against the Dodgers. So Mario Feliciano, the, uh, the catcher who we'll probably see him back next year, maybe the year after. Uh, but, but one guy that I kind of, I kind of forgot that was on the Brewers this year. And Derek Fisher, to be honest, too. Yeah, certainly. It's a long season. You forget some of those guys. And uh, next episode, when we give the grades for all the pitchers, there'll be some names, I'm sure, as well, that uh, we look back to Ryan Weber, Blaine Hardy, Sal Romano, that uh, all appeared this year for the Brewers. Um, Of course, even that John Axford appearance. So uh, looking forward to next episode, we'll be, again, finishing up the grades on the pitcher sides. Should be a little bit... uh, I think uh, heartening or uh, exciting. I'm not sure the, the word may have been a little bit uh, disappointing to break down the Brewers offense for you, but we'll be of course giving grades out to Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Josh Hader, uh, as well as taking a look at the Brewers awards. And then ultimately, I think the big question is, which is where do the Brewers go from here, uh, both from a front office perspective um, and depth chart roster, all those things. So David, final thoughts here uh, before we go today. Well, you did mention that it may be a little bit uh, discouraging going through the Brewers' offensive players, uh, maybe the a little bit of weaker grades, but I just would like to mention that it was only one year ago that we were grading Eric Sogard and Ryan Healy and uh, David Freitas playing in the uh, the postseason. Uh, so we have come a long ways, I would say that, uh, and we are we are in a much better spot than we were 
a year ago, even with the pitching too. I remember last year though, we were strategizing uh, and we were saying, okay, nobody wants to hear about the offense. Let's try to get this one done pretty quick. Uh, so we can move on to the pitching, which is what we want to talk about, what everyone wants to, to talk about, because the Brewers finally had good pitching. Uh, but but the, I wouldn't quite quite say the offense was uh, was that bad this year, even though uh, definitely pitching was was much better. And it'll be more fun to talk about the pitchers. Yeah, I think I think that if we would have seen a more, you know, I think it was really disheartening. Of course, Christian Yelich, Kesson Hira, Jackie Bradley Jr., three, you know, D's or uh, D's and F's type players, I think was also disheartening as a Brewer fan. Uh, to see from those three guys. But like you said, of course, we've got Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, who we spent just about all of last offseason dissecting. Um, I remember you uh, being very high on Freddie Peralta. Your correct prediction of him making the All-Star game as well uh, was notable from last year. So got to give props to you on that one. So again, next episode, we'll be taking a look at the Brewers Awards, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Newcomer of the Year, as well as the pitcher's grades. And again, the final question, where do the Brewers go from here? Um, I, I think that's an interesting question. A lot of players returning, a lot of the key players returning. So I think that there may not be a lot of changes, but still meaningful ones, of course. Um, some of those guys really making a difference uh, in the course of a 162-game season and sometimes four-game series. So, um, of course, we'll be watching World Series go down as the Braves play the Astros. We will still be mourning the Josh Hader slider knocked into left center um, by Freddie Freeman. And as always, we will have you here covered as the offseason begins, as we get excited for the Brewers 2022 season. And as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.